Every morning as we go to the bus stop to take our son, uh, well, to put him on the bus so he can go to school, we walk the dog afterwards. And this week I realized something while I was walking the dog, that the communities that we find ourselves living in make absolutely no sense whatsoever. I'm not talking about master-planned communities or the way Arlington County has decided to name its streets for no rhyme or reason with 16th Street dead-ending on Glebe Road and then beginning again half a mile down the way just to dead-end again. If you've purchased a home, then you know the painstaking work it takes to ensure that the financial commitment you are about to make is a solid investment for you or your family. Home appraisers and home inspectors will do their best most of the time to help protect you as the buyer. But what about the neighborhood? I mean, what about the neighbors? Before you move in, do you know who you will be living next to? Do you really want to live that close to someone you may have nothing in common with except a zip code or maybe a tax assessment? I mean, yeah, you could live next to a rock star neighbor like me who smokes barbecue in the backyard and then shares it with everyone on the block. Or you could end up living next to a dud. The problem is you don't know until it's too late if you'll find yourself feeling blessed to be living next to such a great neighbor, or if you'll be mumbling, oh, bless their heart, as you try to make it from the driveway into your front door without having yet another conversation you didn't want to have in the first place. Being in community with people you cannot identify with or you just simply don't like is a difficult task, but For better or worse, you could be in one of those relationships now. Paul's audience in Corinth was not sitting around a campfire singing Jesus Loves Me or Kumbaya. This letter written by Paul was sent to a church that found itself in the midst of division. Paul was writing to a community suffering from mistrust, which had caused a lack of unity. Divided along ethnic and social boundaries, the Corinthian church found itself without a clear focus on Jesus Christ as their point of unity and the blessing that they had received by God's grace. Differing perspectives and experiences have been causing division within the church since Christ's ascension. Conflict within the church is not a modern phenomenon or even a byproduct of the Reformation. Since Christ's ascension, wherever two or three have been gathered in the name of Christ, there have been differing theological opinions, arguments over church music, and church council quarrels in church basements. And something tells me that that may not change with the generations to come. This morning we continue our Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series by considering how we ourselves, individually and maybe as a community, have been blessed by God's grace. 
Grace is one of those stained glass churchy words that you really won't hear used anywhere else aside from church, and it's often a word that goes undefined. The assumption is by people like me is that people like you, the congregation, people with different experiences and journeys up to this point will know exactly what I am talking about. Since the fall of humanity, way, way back in the early chapters of Genesis, when Adam and Eve broke God's one and only rule and were removed from the garden, we, collective humanity, have been in desperate need of the liberating love of God. St. Augustine wrote that God's grace serves as a, the healer of human nature, saying that the church is a hospital full of the sick, and it is God's grace that heals us. Our Wesleyan heritage takes this a step further, noting that God's grace is provenient, another church word that you don't hear used anywhere else. But provenient means to go ahead of our conversion and our death declaration as declaration of Christ as Lord. Before you were baptized as an infant, a, a teenager, or an adult, before you prayed the sinner's prayer at a youth group retreat, before you received your third grade Bible, before you took the membership vows in a congregation, or even before you attended your first vacation Bible school in the basement of your grandparents' church, the unmerited, unwavering love of God was and continued to be yours. We see God's grace working proveniently as God created the heavens and the earth. God created all of creation out of love and created us out of God's grace. And we as a community rely on that same grace of God daily. The division that we often find in the church places us in need of that which God has promised to us through Christ, the head of the church. Now, if you think about it for a moment, neighborhoods on one hand might make no sense. But us, this community of people gathered on a Sunday morning might make less sense. This morning, I'll be leading a class here at Mount Olivet called Discover Mount Olivet. It's for folks who have been visiting for a while and want to learn more about Mount Olivet. They will learn the big picture vision and mission of the church, things that the church can provide for their family before learning the nitty gritty details that we often learn once we become members of the church. Part of our journey this morning will be to discover what brought each of us to Mount Olivet. I have a unique way of getting to Mount Olivet. I am here by the grace of God and the appointment of Bishop Sharma Lewis. Yet what brought me to Mount Olivet is very different than what brought you to Mount Olivet. And what brought you to Mount Olivet is very different than what brought the person sitting next to you to Mount Olivet. Better yet, each of us has a different different story for what has kept us in this community. I mean, after all, throughout Arlington County, there are multiple United Methodist churches. There's two along Glebe Road within a mile of one another. And if you go down 16th Street, there are three Protestant churches within a mile of one another. So what brought you here? What keeps you here? At some level, all of us have 
chosen to be here this morning. And at another level, for some reason, many of us have chosen to come back week after week. We find ourselves in a community with people who think, dress, behave, and look differently from us. And yet we have committed to living a life together. We are lawyers and lobbyists, stay-at-home caregivers, retirees, military personnel, teachers, and medical professionals, and I could keep going for the rest of the morning. We are Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and more, and still, still we are committed to a life together as one people, with people whom our friends and family may refer to as them or the other. But here in this community, we will pray with and for them. We will cry with them. We will worship with them and we will serve with them. If I were to ask each of you your theological position this morning on the lordship of Christ, the nature of God, or just what you think about the Bible... I'm fairly confident that the answers would be as varied and as diverse as your own experiences with God and what God has created. We find ourselves on a faith journey together, and yet there is no single right way for this journey to begin or for this journey to continue. The single thread that holds all of us together is the Lordship of Christ and our need of His grace. Our need for the unmerited love of God is the thread that holds us together. And we cannot be a community of faith without Christ and his grace as our center. We can excel at doing good things for people, but without the grace of God, we are just people trying to, go, trying to do good. Knowing or unknowing that the good we do cannot repay the sin humanity has committed against God. Much to our chagrin, this grace, this unifying, grace-filled community, it could seem like the last thing we would want or need, and yet this unmerited gift is a forecast, it's a foretaste of the kingdom Christ inaugurated through his own ministry. The good news is this, Amid division and disagreement, we are still the recipients of God's grace. There is no theological disagreement or division of the church along socio or economic lines, race, political affiliation, or sexual orientation that can change the blessing that we as a community have received by the grace of God. Paul continued in his letter in verse 27. Of this chapter, writing that church unity is not a goal or a, an ideal that we will one day live into when we finally get it right, whatever it is. The unity of the ancient church and for the church today is found in our own unity in Christ and the grace of God that continues to bless each of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.